Tonight, I want to talk about kingdom work. Kingdom work. I'm going to start with a passage, and we're going to, uh, we're going to go through it and kind of start chewing on it uh, throughout the night, and then we'll come back to it a few times uh, before we're all done and uh, hopefully uh, digest it a, a little bit more. So we'll start Second Corinthians 5, 17 through 21 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God for our sake, He made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you so much uh, for this evening, this opportunity to come together and uh, just fellowship with one another and just worship you and just hear your word, Lord. I just pray that your words are heard tonight and not my own. Uh, Just uh, give me strength and uh, Lord, we just love you so much and thank you most of all for sending your son to die for us, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Matthew 6.33 says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So high-level overview of this passage. We know this is from the Sermon on the Mount, preached by the greatest preacher of all time, right? Jesus Christ himself. And this just, come, this just follows where he's talking about not to worry, not to worry about how you're clothed, how you're fed. Uh, he, he ends this passage with saying, why, why would you even worry? It doesn't even add a cubit to your stature. I thought that was always a, almost a humorous comment to say, but when you think about God puts all of this, uh, this effort into taking care of of birds and and plants and that kind of thing, but how much more does he take care of us who's created in his image? So it really seems kind of silly to worry when you know that God is taking care of us. Tonight, I want to focus, though, more on the first half of that verse. Have you ever looked for something? Like really, really looked for something. Like say you lost your keys, you lost the TV remote, I think that's pretty bad, right? You lost your phone. See, in our house, if someone loses their phone, the entire world stops. Like, we are flipping over cushions and couches and digging through drawers, looking out in the car, turning lights out because it's probably on silent so we can see if the light's coming on. We're going through the entire house trying to find this little device. But the funny thing is, I'm not even looking for a call. I'm not waiting for a call. I'm not looking for a message. I'm not even trying to get a high score on one of the games, right? I just feel like something's missing if that little device isn't right beside me, or at least I know where it's at. What if we felt the same way about God? If we just felt like something was missing, if we felt like something was missing, if, he, if we didn't feel like he was right there next to us, if we weren't doing his work, if we weren't in constant communication in his word, 
and in prayer with him, what if we just didn't feel right? This word here for seek is the Greek word for strive for. It's not passive. It's work. It's ongoing. This word in Greek is present imperative active, which is just a fancy way of saying it's an ongoing command. It literally means to continually strive for the kingdom of God and his righteousness before everything else. This is a command to do kingdom work, and it came straight from the mouth of Jesus. So what is kingdom work? So we as Christians kind of have, we tend to kind of have our own language, right? We have these the words that we use. Uh, those that maybe aren't believers really don't understand them. I think sometimes even those that are Christians don't fully understand what some of these, uh, these words mean. So I want to attempt to define my definition of kingdom work. I would say is an intentional action that is rooted in truth and would be pleasing to God. That's my definition. I'm basing that off 2 Timothy 2, 14 through 15. It says, remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. As a worker, you should be intentional or be diligent, as the King James says, to do your best in everything, to stand before God unashamed, properly handling, properly applying his word and his truth. And that's kind of a broad sweeping statement, but I want to kind of take it down to the core a little bit. What pleases God more than restoring the relationship his creation destroyed? 1 Timothy 2, 3 through 6 says, This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. For there is one God, there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. To be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Kingdom work is about getting folks saved. It's ongoing, it's perpetual. I get saved, I tell somebody else. They get saved, they tell somebody else. They get saved, they tell somebody else. It's God's desire that the broken relationship with his creation is restored. The only way we can seek his kingdom and his righteousness is through the message and ministry of reconciliation. Kingdom work is about the message and the ministry. And this takes us back to our anchor passage where we're faced with this, this fancy R word, right? We don't, reconciliation. You don't probably use that word in normal conversation with people. You know, hey, I, I believe we should be reconciled with one another. That's, that's not you know, a normal statement that you might make to your friend. But this word reconciliation, in the Greek, it means to restore to favor, to restore to favor, specifically referring to the favor of God. The message of reconciliation is this. God created us. We, and by we I mean Adam originally, severed that relationship with sin, and we were separated from our creator. The only way to make that right is through the one-time perfect sacrifice of the spotless perfect lamb, Jesus Christ. He was the propitiation. Talk about that word in just a minute. I love big words. 
Um, we'll talk about, uh, he was the prepo, I can't talk now. He was the propitiation for our sin. Through him, through accepting what he did on the cross, through accepting his death, burial, and resurrection, we are reconciled with our Savior. Then we begin to live a life that's set apart, a life that's different. People start to notice, ask questions. Hey, why is this person dealing with this really tough situation maybe a little differently than this other person that I know? What is this joy that they have in them? Then that gives us the opportunity to tell them about this Jesus that they've been hearing about and to spread that word and continue that ministry of reconciliation. That is what the message of reconciliation is. It's the gospel. It's the good news. Kingdom work is about spreading the gospel, plain and simple. Before we get a little further into this, I do want to come back and I want to talk about that word, that word propitiation. 1 John 2, 1 through 2 says, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. The Greek word here for advocate refers to a comforter, a consoler, an intercessor. The Greek word for propitiation literally means atoning sacrifice. It expresses the idea of a substitute that makes our charges obsolete. I want you to imagine this scene, if you will. You're in a courtroom. God sits on the judge's bench. He is the righteous judge. He cannot deal unjustly. He must. He's God. We are the defendant. We have been charged with sins that merit the death penalty. We were caught red-handed. There's no excuse for us. We are absolutely sentenced to death. We have no chance, no excuse. Then in steps Jesus. And he doesn't step in just as you would think a lawyer would step in and say, okay, well, let's kind of negotiate this sentence. Let's do, uh, let's do some community service. Let's work over here. Let's get this sentence reduced. Um, he didn't really mean to. And he started, you know, that's, not how, that's not how this works. Christ steps in between us and the judge and says, it's me. I take the guilt. The punishment, the death that's owed, it's mine. And he turns to me and says, you put your trust in me and you can go free. Go walk out of here. So I trusted him. What do I do? Do I walk out and say, I'm not going to tell anybody. This is a secret. I can't tell anybody about this. No. I'm going to go out skipping and jumping and screaming Saying, I've been set free. This debt that I owed that I could never, ever pay was paid 100% for me. 100%. How can you keep that inside? That is what propitiation is. He became my substitute. He took what I rightfully owed and paid that price. 
That is the message of reconciliation. That is the ministry of reconciliation. So who's supposed to do it? Who's supposed to be responsible for this message, responsible for this ministry? Psalm 107, 1 through 2 says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast, steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble. I love that statement. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. If you've been redeemed, tell somebody. Tell everybody. That is our responsibility as a redeemed, reconciled son or daughter of the king. We come back to our anchor passage here, 2 Corinthians 5. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting us to use to, uh, trusting us to the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God for our sake. He made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. If you are saved, if you are reconciled, Kingdom work is your responsibility. It's not an option. It's not a part-time gig. You are sons and daughters of the king. It's time you're about the family business. Let me ask you this. Is your pastor responsible for the message and ministry of reconciliation? Do you pay them to spread the gospel? Do you pay them to do kingdom work? Chew on that for a moment. Let's read this. Ephesians 4, 11 through 14 says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ." So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. So I ask again, is your pastor responsible for the message and ministry of reconciliation? Do you pay your pastor to spread the gospel? Do you pay them to do kingdom work? Now I admit these questions aren't exactly fair. They're what you call trick questions. I'm going to assume that our pastor, we know that our pastor is a child of the king, and as a reconciled, saved person, he is most definitely, most definitely responsible for the message and ministry of reconciliation. But so is every other reconciled, saved believer in Jesus Christ. Here's the trick question part. Your pastor is not paid to spread the gospel or do kingdom work on your behalf. Let me give you an example. I hate going to the dentist. It is the most awful thing I can imagine. Right? 
I don't have, and I don't have like some sort of, you know, I don't have bad dental issues or anything like that, but I just really hate going to the dentist. I, I try to avoid it as much as possible. So I go into the dentist for my, my teeth cleaning. The hygienist is in there with this like razor sharp floss, just like chopping my gums to pieces. It's just torture, right? <laughs> she looks at me and says, you know, you should probably floss more often. To which I reply, that's your job. Is that the dental hygienist's job to floss my teeth for me? No. Now, I was kind of in a mood for being there. And, I, you know, I didn't like where I was at. So I was trying to be a smart aleck, I'll admit. But how much sense does that statement make? They're not responsible for cleaning my teeth or making sure they're clean and making sure I take care of them, right? They equip me. They tell me what I need to do to take better care of them, all right? Our pastors are not responsible for spreading the gospel on our behalf. They're not responsible for spreading the gospel on our behalf. But the same goes for a pastor, just like I said. They're reconciled, saved individuals, they do have a responsible to share the gospel just like we do. They should be compelled to and convicted to just like we as sons and daughters of the king should be. So hopefully we have a little better understanding of what kingdom work is, who's supposed to do it, but how should kingdom work be done? Now we could stay here all night and talk about all different ways to do kingdom work, but I'm going to talk about three tonight. Perhaps the easiest way to do kingdom work is simply by telling a story. Your story. We have this conversation with the teens, with our students all the time. They're uncomfortable. And this is not, this is not limited to teens having this issue. But they're uncomfortable speaking to someone about Christ. What do I say? Am I going to say the right thing? Am I going to mess it up? Or am I, am I going to tell them something wrong? What are they going to think about me? There's all these things going through their head. We simply tell somebody what Jesus has done for you. Don't overcomplicate it. I want to look at an example in Luke 8. This is the account of the demon-possessed man that Jesus healed. So he's naked, crazy, hanging out in the tomb. Everybody in the city is avoiding him. This guy is certifiably just, he's nuts. Nobody wants to, he doesn't have one demon in him. He's got a legion of demons in him. So the whole town knows to stay away from this guy. But Jesus comes, he casts out those demons who immediately, he casts them into you know, a, a herd of swine, if you remember the story. And they immediately go and run off a cliff. So maybe the smart thing to do, I guess. And uh, here this man sits, clothed and in his right mind. Luke 8, 38 and 39 says, The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him, but Jesus sent him away saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. Now Jesus doesn't tell him, you know, hey, you need to hang out here. We need to learn a bunch of theology. We need to learn all these doctrinal statements. We need to learn all of the, uh, this. We need, to, we need to really, really know how to talk to people about the gospel before we go do this, right? Now, I'm not saying there's, the theology is wrong. That's all important. The pillars of, our, of what we believe, 
understanding the scriptures, that is important, okay? But I think we overcomplicate it sometimes and, and let the enemy convince us that we're, we're not prepared to talk to other people about what Jesus has done because we haven't spent all this time studying and, and this, you know, going to school and, and that kind of thing. Jesus tells this man, you're not going to come hang out with me. Just go tell everyone you see what I've done for you. Plain and simple. Well, let me share another example in John 4. We have the account of the Samaritan woman at the well. She has a conversation with Jesus. She wants to make it about religion, but he makes it about himself. The one and only living water sitting right in front of her. And she leaves her water jar at the well and heads to town and tells everyone that she knows about her encounter. John 4, 39 42 through 42 says, Many Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with him, and he stayed for two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Simply by sharing her story, others came to Christ, and now they had their own encounter with Christ and were able to share their stories with others. There's numerous examples throughout the New Testament of people sharing their stories of healing, restoration, and reconciliation only to lead others to Christ. There's one thing interesting about this particular story. If you kind of know the history here, Jews and Samaritans, they don't hang out. All right? This was not a common occurrence. This wasn't a normal occurrence for Jesus to sit here and speak to this Samaritan woman. She was surprised. But Jesus met her where she was and told her about the one Thing that could save her himself. The one thing that could reconcile her relationship with her creator, the living water. And Paul imitates this in 1 Corinthians as well. 1 Corinthians 9, 12, excuse me, 19 through 23 says, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. Paul met the lost where they were. He followed the example of his Savior. He didn't sit in a church building somewhere and wait for the people to pour in. Kingdom work is not about marketing the church so we can get people to patronize our facility. Kingdom work is about marketing Jesus, beckoning people to come to him. The message and ministry of reconciliation will spark church growth. 
It's an expected result. Please understand that I'm not downplaying the importance of the local church. The local church and fellowship of believers is a part of God's plan for us to do kingdom work. I'm not downplaying that in any way. In Ephesians, as Paul prays for the spiritual strength of the church, he tells us how the church and Jesus Christ bring glory to the Father. Ephesians 3, 14 through 21 says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts and through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power of the work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Make no mistake, kingdom work is done through the church, but as members of that body, we are to be doers and not donors. Let me explain what I mean by that. Here's the wrong attitude. I donate at least five hours of my week to attend church and grace this congregation with my presence. I donate over 10% of my gross annual income to make sure this facility stays open and the gospel is shared. That's the wrong attitude. The right attitude is I take every opportunity available to spend time in worship and fellowship with my brothers and sisters in Christ. I give sacrificially from a cheerful heart to help further the gospel beyond my personal efforts. James 1, 22 through 25 says, But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away at once, forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If you're a doer, the donating will take care of itself. We do not donate to the church or the pastor, as we said before, so they can do kingdom work on our behalf. The church is not a charitable organization, so we can send in our monthly check so they can spread the gospel. As saved people and part of that local body, we are to carry out the ministry of reconciliation. We as a church body and as individuals are to do kingdom work. God's plan is not for us to be spectators, but to put us to work on the field. That is how kingdom work is done. As we wrap up tonight, I want to go back to our anchor passage one last time. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting us to the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. 
We implore you as a, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We are to be about the business of our Father. Kingdom work is the responsibility of the children of the King. Christ took our place when we rightfully deserve death and rightfully deserve separation from our Heavenly Father. Because of his death and resurrection, we can be reconciled and restored to favor with our Creator. When we place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we make that relationship right. We make it whole. We are declared not guilty as we stand before the judge. With this declaration comes responsibility. We are entrusted with the message of reconciliation and given the responsibility of the ministry of reconciliation. This is the gospel and we are to spread it to the uttermost parts of the world. That is kingdom work. If you haven't been restored, if you haven't been reconciled, the time is now. You cannot come up with an excuse to not do it. There's no, you can't give me a reason. Jesus stepped between you and the judge and said, I'm the guilty one. Just trust in me and you can go free. Easy, simple as that. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now is the time for you to be made right with God. If you've already been redeemed, then tell somebody. Tell everyone. How can you keep that secret inside of you? Maybe you're a spiritual hoarder. Okay, you've seen those shows where they just keep all this stuff, all these things inside of their home. Maybe we do that. Maybe we keep that treasure, this priceless treasure inside of us. We just hoard it, and we, we don't want anybody to see it. We don't. How, how, how could that be? How can I look someone in the eye and know that they're going to hell and decide not to tell them because I think I'm going to feel awkward or I'm going to feel out of place. Some sort of social awkwardness is not worth someone's soul. If that's where, you are, if that's where you're at, I'd say shame on you. And I'm going to say shame on me too. Because I've been there, I've done the same thing. But I cannot do that any longer. I cannot look someone in the eye knowing that they are doomed to eternal destruction when I have the answer right here inside of me. I have to tell them, and I implore you to do the same thing. 